0: So welcome to um, This Writing Life, I'm James Kidd, I'm sitting in an incredibly uh, pleasant front living room in Earl's Court in a, an upstairs flat, next door apparently Hattie Jakes lived which, which excited me, and, but far more exciting than that, I'm, I'm sitting with the American novelist and screenwriter Tom Drury who has been sort of almost doing a sort of David Bowie impression from what I can gather, has been in Berlin and is now right. in London. That's right. I know several screenplays, but yeah. there's a screenplay coming of...
1: Yes, The Driftless Area. The uh, that film will be coming out this year, I believe.
0: In America, Britain, all Don't over? Know. I okay. mean,
1: I'm not really sure of the distribution. It's in post-production now, and
0: so there will be news about it, I'm sure. Have you seen any... Do you get to see rushes and... Um... I've seen some, yeah, yeah. It it, is, is it an eerie feeling to see...
1: No, your... it's not eerie, <laughs> it's... Um, I was on the set when the film was made, so I got to see it all, you know, or a good bit of it. Okay. You know, not like the car shots, because that would be a separate unit, but um, a lot of the stuff I got to see live as it happened, which was an incredible feeling. Like, really, to have your, you know, you've made a novel, you've turned it into a screenplay, and now people are acting it out in sort of like, it's an embodiment of... The characters that you made and put down on paper. Mm. And then to see them acting it out, it's like, it's really profound. And it changes, you know, like the story is different um, from the novel. You just get, things get more economical, <laughs> you know, in a film. Because you think about, like, well, what is absolutely essential and what isn't. So I changed it and, and yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing it come out. With
0: certain novelists, that's a, the idea of what's essential is, a, is, is it, for any novelist, is going to be a, a fairly important question. For you, what's essential and inessential seems to be almost one of the ways we could describe your your yeah. work. That yeah. um, sometimes the, the seemingly the most offhand comment might be might encapsulate the novel. But was, was that? Did that make that process rather, rather difficult to, to structure? Um, no, because I mean there was still. There's
1: still room for like normal conversation and the way it sort of works and doesn't work, and so there's still offhand comments that you know reflect the story and um, the overall arc of the story. So yeah, so there's still some of that, but it's just you you see you just see like well, and you do, this process also happens in writing. You you see like well, you have two characters that are are functioning somewhat the same you can make them one they should be one character they're really one character scenes that are nice in themselves but they don't push the story forward yeah are more that's more clear in a screenplay or it's more clear certainly on the screen than it is in a novel and I like the episodic I like I like I like films but I also like novels a lot and I realize they're not the same thing
0: I mean a obvious difference these differences that you're collaborating with other people you're collaborating yeah. with the director yeah. with producers yeah. and then also with, yeah. with actors how do, you, how do you find that sort of slightly coming out of that intense good role? I worked with the
1: director Zachary Slusser, and uh, we did a short film together I think in 2009 <coughs> and uh, and then this is our first feature that we've worked on um, in fact we did the short while I, we were working on the screenplay for the feature because Zach just want, felt like he wanted to shoot a little film, so I had a short story and I gave it to him, I said, "Here, wait, well, can check this out if you <laughs> like it, you know and, and, um, and he it was called Pathlights, and um, he did like it, and so we, uh, he, he came up with a screenplay and then we worked it around a little bit, and um, and then we shot it like in, I don't know, five days around Los Angeles
0: How does that contrast, that kind of collaboration with, with, with your everyday sort of writing life, um, whether it's I know you've written as a journalist. uh, It's
1: great. I mean, I like collaborating. I like working with editors, interactions. You know, I have certain people that I ask to read my work, you know. So I like when, because it's a very solitary occupation, obviously. You're just in a room (laughs) making up people and having them say things to each other. (laughs) Um, So the chance to work with a cast and a crew Mm. is, is really wonderful.
0: Is that a kind of myth of the solitary writer sort of in a... You know, well, in a I mean, it's just
1: a fact, you know. Yeah. And it, one thing that I've done from time to time is just take a regular job. So, and that's kind okay. of... has sort of broken up the the solitude a bit. It's, but it's of necessity, you know. I like, I like the writing life, but I, it's <laughs> not something that, you know, always... Um, and uh, it's going to be making enough money, you know, so...
0: I mean, it's a tough thing, that, and a lot of writers don't really talk about it, maybe because lots of writers have lots of, you know, money stashed away from other sources, or, or perhaps they're assassins, or... I well, know. I
1: think a lot of people do have day jobs. I mean, yeah. uh, like, for example, when I was in L.A., I worked for... I finished a, no- I finished a Driftless Area novel, okay. and I went to work for the Los Angeles County Museum of Art <laughs> as an editor running their website. And it was... Wonderful. I mean, I really loved it because you're around all this art, and it's just a great place, great physical environment to to work in. Because, like, when you want to take a walk or take a break, you can just go look at beautiful works of art <laughs> all over the place. Because Black was a great big museum, so that was a lot of fun. How I about think.
0: journalism? I mean, this is perhaps a slightly sort of self-centered question. Does journalism help you um, as a help you write fiction? Some writers I've talked to. Felt they had to almost give up journalism. That some journalism get in the way. I'd I almost suggest your fiction has incredibly sort of detailed um, descriptions of fairly everyday be- behavior. Um, it uh-huh. seems someone, someone who has watched people closely and um, yeah. Well, I haven't written any
1: journalism in a long time. Okay. And I prefer to write fiction only. Okay. So, but I think being a journalist. Yeah, you do see a lot of people. You see a lot of different situations that you can then you know, maybe call upon when you're imagining a story. So it's like it's a great resource, and you hear so many people talk. Mm. You know you hear a lot of talk, and so it helps you to write dialogue. In fact, I used to love um, doing this, <laughs> you know, recording uh, interviews and then transcribing them, because yeah. the way people talk is just fascinating to me.
0: It's a very strange uh, thing that happens, that you realise that, I I speak in in terrible sentences that cut off and Mm -hmm. wind... I I think it's one of the reasons I love your your novel so much that it's almost like the way I I speak. But it's a very strange thing when you actually work out how people speak. It's a very odd, not linear...
1: No, not linear at all. And, um, you know, they answer questions that haven't been asked, and they don't answer questions that have been asked, and... um, I always think in writing dialogue that there's two layers. There's what the person really wants, and there's what they're saying. And these are two different things, you know. And they may be expressing the hidden message in a roundabout way in what they're saying. So that, and I feel that is the way that people talk. You know, people get, oh, uh, you know, irritated over small things when really there's something. Big. That's troubling. Mm. You know what I mean. Mm. And then they'll make a big deal out of this small thing, and it doesn't really
0: matter at all. You know. I think one of my favourite moments in the novel uh, is what is, mm-hmm. and I'm, I want to be careful about how how much we we give away. Um, yeah. There's a particularly traumatic um, event between, I suppose, the the, the two m- main char- characters. Our hero Dan, who's the the sheriff, is is fixing bales of hay in a, a sort of obsessive way, and he's a a person that wants, I think, to order. Yeah. Chaos and, is yeah. that the sort of thing that he he does? Be I assume he has some sense. He knows what what he's doing. True. I think, Louise, that, that, that sort of. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Is. That's a great. That's a great example. He's trying to set something right, but not touching the, not quite being able to touch right. It, right. Yeah. right. And well,
1: it that can't be set right. So, but the bales can, you know. And there's some other point in the story too where um, Dan is talking about. He sometimes speaks in like parables or, mm. or metaphors, and he's talking about when the bales fall off of mm. the truck, and he's referring. He's basically talking about the the breakdown of Louise's marriage to Tiny in a very oracular fashion. You know, just sort of a uh, I don't know, like a, a haiku or something. Mm. You know. <laughs>
0: And, uh,
1: yeah, so that's a, yeah. The and mail, that's a perfect example.
0: But there's also the opposite that happens. I think some of the moments I laughed the loudest were, were these strange moments where characters would suddenly say exactly what they were thinking yeah. in perhaps inappropriate sentences. I think my favourite being Louise going to visit, I think, the, the, her local priest uh, yeah. about, about getting married. And yeah. the priest admits that suddenly says, I've always found you physically yeah. attractive. And <laughs> yeah. I, 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 this, this, True, I, yeah. So there are these disarming moments where people tell yeah. you...
1: yeah. I mean, everything is, like when we talk about something you've observed that allows you to write, such as the way people don't talk about what they mean, everything is like an opportunity for inversion. You know what I mean? So, so if everybody never talks about sometimes people do say exactly what they mean, and, it's, and, it's, and it can be quite bracing. And also I think in that conversation with the priest is also, Louise is talking about how she thinks the idea of God is really strange and like having an imaginary friend which is like she's mm. directly expressing her skepticism you know to a priest or a preacher who, whose help she needs because she wants to get married So
0: I think it's the second interview I've done recently where I've talked to a writer with a fairly considerable body of work and asking them to to rewind to the to the beginning of of, of their uh, career, um, uh, the end of vandalism is is twenty one years old. Is that that's correct? Exactly, nineteen ninety four. So it's kind of enjoying a it's it's coming of age. Yeah,
1: it's funny to do to um, do that because or to have that book coming out because it's sort of like it was written quite some time ago, and I feel like I'm almost here as a representative of. The characters, Um, and when I read it, it's like I have these questions of, well, where did where did all this come from, you know? And because you're trying to, you know, it's hard to remember, you know, like how you felt when you were writing something like that. The sort of saving grace that has kept me connected with them is that I've written three books about the same characters, the three Grouse County books. So I've come back and checked on on these characters. Periodically over the years. Do you have to reread? The novels? I don't. You know, pr- pr- maybe I should. Well, read readers out there busily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I should. Um, I no, I don't tend to re- reread my work unless forced. So. Yeah, exactly. I did. I did revisit some the books this week just because I was coming here
0: to talk about them. So, <laughs> in case people ask you, what mm-hmm. now on page one hundred mm-hmm. and fourteen and. One of the things that did remind me of this, this act of forcing you to go back into the past was, and it did remind me of Louise's almost everyday life, of someone who walks around geographically in in, in the place that she grew up in and is almost faced, I, I misuse literally, um, by, literally and physically, figuratively, by, by her past. If she sees someone, um, there's a lovely scene where she encounters, I think it's Johnny White, mm-hmm. and almost has a sort of history lesson in there relationship in their number of their encounters. Right. And it's thrown back into the past. It's mm-hmm. is is returning to, to the end of vandalism. Is that is that is that you were saying it puts you in touch with your characters. Does it put you in touch a little bit with, with the, the version of yourself that, that wrote it that, that... Um, to read it again you mean? Yeah. in a sense, yeah, but I
1: still think of the characters as being apart from me. Okay. You know. Well, it's like I'm channeling them. But a little bit I suppose it does bring me back a little bit and I know the influences in the writing style because in the three books the the style changes you know it's like I did dance and I try to do different things and and not just write the same you know Grouse County novel every time so that the style is ch- uh, changes and I could speculate about you know like the style changes and, and what they mean exactly I know where they come from but I don't know why I mean my writing has become more I think more spare
0: okay
1: The End of Annalism is a hugely conversational novel and they all are they all have a lot of dialogue but in the later novels there's I think less of a tendency to have someone come in and tell a story that's related to what's going on in the rest of the story but not directly you know
0: why do you think that's happening? What, what, can you tr- if I well, again, because
1: and... I think, like, I feel like if I did that in the end of vandalism, then I don't want to do it in another book, you know. If something is reminding me too much of something I've already written, then, you know, I try to change up the strategies a little bit or change up the, you know, just the way it, that
0: I'm putting the sentences together.
1: If I start... Just to keep it new, okay. you know, to keep it new
0: and, and find out new things and... Where did this idea of, the, uh, sort of com- the conversational novel when you were sitting down to write, to write this, what, what attracted you to, to writing the, in that particular... I guess I do, I mean, I do, like I said, I love the way that people speak. Mm.
1: And so, and I really got into, at the end of Antalism particularly just letting them speak, you know, and like sometimes when I didn't know what was going to happen next, I would just bring in a new character or somebody who'd already appeared. And have them come in and see what they said, you know? And it's, so it's a very much of a spontaneous process. You, I'm just trying to sort of let the story show me how it's supposed to be written, is the way I think of it. And so,
0: and conversation helps a great deal in that. So, this is, sort of, is it sort of, I think Chandler famously said, if, you know, if I get stuck, I have a guy walk in with a gun. For yeah. you, they walk in with what, a sort of one liner or a story or a. Right.
1: Or, you know, there's some question about, well, who, why is this bucket in the yard and, and who's, who does it belong to? Or, you know, I think of the there's a part in Chapter 4 where um, Louise's mother's listening to the radio and this woman comes on and mm-hmm. gives this long explanation partial explanation of how to put away a seed bed I think yeah. it is and I just I don't know I mean it was just there's a lot of references to dowel rod and that and and that's something dowel rod we used to have around all the time because my my dad worked uh, first for the railroad and then for a hardware store so we had like a lot of you know rural places you tend to have a lot of you know lumber lying around so and dowel rods always just struck me as kind of humorous so so I had you know And, like, remember, you need enough powder to make six gallons, not six gallons of powder. You know, just funny stuff that I remember. The type of thing that you would hear from, you know, an agricultural uh, extension agent who would have a radio show in the Midwest.
0: Three least favorite things that people say about books or movies or is that the, the 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 place is is is, a, is another character. A character that <laughs> I kind of always yeah. want to myself.
1: I forget who did this, but somebody did a story. It might have been Ian Fraser, I'm not sure, but did a story in which you know I think there were a few quotes like that, and then he wrote a, a little story about you know all these
0: places <laughs> you know <laughs> interacting as characters. This is a, a terrible segue into saying, but Grass County and the, the little, rather sort of removed towns, um, and often not even towns, I guess, sort of... Sometimes,
1: yeah, they're just, like, little stops on the side of the road.
0: It does play a, a central role, the idea, idea of setting. I was wondering if you just... Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, I mean, you know, when you think about... You grow up in an area like that, and there's, like, one town every six or seven miles... And you know it might have. My town had 220 people. The one six miles away had like a 900 or a thousand. And you know we used to go around as teenagers. You know we just drive from town to town and looking for stuff to do. So it's very natural for me to have characters do that because that is kind of the. It's a a life that is um, you know sort of directed by
0: automobile travel and so there are a lot of cars in there as well so where you grew you grew up in, i'm always saying it's swaledale, swaledale yeah We i've been to there's a place in yorkshire called Swaledale. there right? absolutely
1: is um there's a uh, they have a like a breed of sheep there called no. swaledale sheep which i was f- up f- in the lake district and i saw that um and there, it's not in the lake district but there i, I forget why there was some av- maybe something in the newspaper or something um but swaledale iowa town history is a it's just a coincidence that there's a swell in New York
0: city. So the the, time, the name is not borrowed, it's what I'm told. What was it like to grow, grow up there? You have a number of, of younger characters who often do some of the funniest things, including some of the, the vandalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was one of my favorite exchanges when this, this group were on, on top of a of water yeah on the water tower Yeah, and one of them says I'm in a band and the, and the sheriff says of course, of course. <laughs> right
1: I would have thought that, but it, like that. Yeah. it
0: felt like a, a maybe not the most exciting place to, to grow up in but but at the same time it's the sort of place that perhaps you look back on and think God,
1: that was a-. yeah I mean I remember the you know the countryside I remember working on farms I remember uh kind of like uh there are like an absence of people my age in my town, so like until you could drive and get around, you know you were kind of limited to what you could do with siblings and stuff you know like riding bikes and playing in the yard and you know and some sports, but not a great deal I mean you know I remember it was like a kind of a dividing line because some of the kids got to go over to uh the next town over and swim in the swimming pool, and some didn't so You know, know, people would just go away to have fun and you're, you know, so you're sort of left to, you know, find ways to keep busy. I remember one thing I did when I was a kid, I would take books into this grove that was near our house and I would read them in the woods, which was a lot of fun.
0: What were you you reading?
1: Oh, I don't remember. I mean, probably like, we had this... uh, a series of books called The Happy Hollisters, which was just... Uh, yeah, you may not have heard it, <laughs> but you know, it's just like a family who has adventures and stuff like that, and that's what I would have... I, I read uh, like all those books, I, I thought those were good. The Power Boys or Power Brothers or something, Power okay. Brothers, I think, was another like Nancy Drew type thing, oh, yeah. separate two boys instead of Nancy Drew. And uh, stuff like that. And I think we had a humor compendium that I would read quite a bit.
0: Was reading a an act of, as well as sort of you know, enjoyment, was, it, was there a sense of escape, wanting to sort of get, get out of it? A lot of your characters are caught between the ones you want to get out and the ones, mm-hmm. that, or, or have a sense of getting out, and the ones right. were either trapped or, or, or completely content to, to be... There in was that.
1: a sense of... Um, I guess escape would be a good way to put it, or at least experiencing the world beyond what you knew, which was not a huge world, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't fly in a plane until I was in college, for while, Okay. You know. So, yeah, it like, practically everything lay outside my experience, so reading was a great way to live in other worlds,
0: other times, you know, um... One one of my favorite lines is da, Dan saying at one point, and again it's almost sort of a side or he says i can't even, i can't even picture Tokyo right and I thought f- it's, it's an extra an extraordinary thing that probably that's true of almost yeah. everyone yeah but that, that was the, it seemed to reflect an idea of this that your the dimensions of your world of your imagination were delineated geographically and in, mm-hmm. in quite a specific way was that, is that Delineated geographically, yeah,
1: I guess that's true. I mean, I remember when the interstate highway came through, I thought that was a great development, because even though, even before I could drive, I realized that you could get on this highway and go places, you know. And so it, it always held the promise of, like, travel. And, you know, you'd see airplanes go over, and you'd okay. think that's exciting. I wonder what they were doing. And in one of the books tiny is looking at an airplane and trying to imagine what the people on the airplane are doing and i think that was something that i probably did as a kid you end up looking at the sky an awful lot because the sky is very big and um, and you know sometimes pretty amazing just Mm. as a a graphic feature of the environment Um, and particularly so at night when the stars um, are out it's not there wasn't a great deal of uh, light pollution so we had a good view of the stars I remember, I think we even we could see satellites going over. I remember that distinctly, and I sometimes Mm -hmm. wonder is that truly possible? But I believe I could. So you would, you know, I feel like I had to, that was another way that I felt, you know, sort of a a visual sign of the possibility of a larger world and different lives than uh, we were leading. This this thing between my older brother and me was like, which do you like better, the dark or the the city lights? You know, because we go to Mason City, which is like 20 miles away, and I think he liked the darkness better of the country, and I think I liked the city lights better. And then, you know, and then I ended up living in you know New York and L A. and
0: that, Yeah, I was gonna say, does that say something about the two of you? Maybe so,
1: yeah, yeah. But now I'm back. Okay. <laughs> now I'm back, so you know. But at the same time, I'm in Berlin, I'm in London right now, you know, I'm in the Amer- I'm staying at the American Academy in Berlin um, for a residency for, you know, from until May, so I'm not, I'm not giving up on cities, I still love cities. But I just wanted to experience that landscape again, because, you know, the thing is, I hadn't lived there uh-huh. since I left school, so it's been probably 30 years since I lived back there, you know. And I just wanted to... And I have family there. And the rents are reasonable. It's, yeah, and it's kind of fun. I mean, you know, it's like... It's an interesting town. Mason City, Iowa is an interesting town historically because it's got, like, a lot of Frank Lloyd Wright architecture. Mm -hmm. There's a hotel right across from my apartment that he designed. They say it's the only operating Frank Lloyd Wright hotel anywhere. Um, And the building that I live in what well, used to be a bank and it was robbed by uh, John Dillinger. <laughs> yeah. And I think and uh, Pretty Boy Floyd, too, I think, was it? yeah. yeah. So it's an interesting place and I've actually had a great time going back there.
0: Has it, I mean, this is going to be the most crude question I can ask, but has it, has it changed? I mean, it, it, your novel um, traces a kind of check, uh, a particular moment of, of change for the yeah. people who, yeah. who, who live there. Now that you've actually gone back and Going back and seeing it firsthand, can you can you detect how that changes play out?
1: I think you know you see like uh, the medium-sized cities are uh, in fact um, it, this is hard for me to speak about like what's oh. going on sociologically because I really don't know. But I mean, it <laughs> seems to me that the medium-sized cities are getting bigger, and the small towns, you know, some of them have found good ways to hang in there and some have it. and the family farms many of them are gone now you know the smaller farmhouses um, and you see abandoned farm I mean abandoned farmhouses and nobody abandons the land because the land is very profitable right. but it's just fewer people farming it okay. so that like a lot of this world of end of is you know comes from growing up there in the 60s and 70s that's the one thing that I, I have enjoyed doing is like writing a contemporary novel that is set in a kind of a place that resides in my imagination and originates from several decades ago. It's been right. interesting because like it it's it helps me imagine it as a new as a different place. Okay.
0: Yeah. What what was in the 1670s? What was happening to, to places like to the real places like. County. I mean, one thing that's very hard to miss is stores shutting down right. farm yeah. families where only perhaps one child out of four or five mm-hmm. remain at home. Right. Um, I mean, places in cities can sell stuff for less.
1: So that people, perhaps in the old days when there were like a, a, a many family farms around a town, people would tend to go into that town to buy stuff because it's very handy. But the fewer farmers there are, fewer people come in to buy stuff. I mean, I'm I'm guessing that this is an economic thing that's happening. It seems to me, just by observation, that's that's what's happened. And so people tend to go to the larger places, and the smaller places tend to go away. Um, so, somewhere- like like in my town, um, where well, I was going over this last night, but I hate to repeat myself, but <laughs> I, I will just this is once or twice or two times. When I was growing up there was a gas station, there was a hair salon, there was a grocery store, there was a grain elevator, there was a hardware store, there was there were two taverns, there were three churches, um, and eventually there was a library. And before that there was the bookmobile okay. you know, which is a little van that came in, which is another cool thing, you know, when you talk about like how I, you know, came to be a writer or what made me want to write. Like When the bookmobile came, it was really <coughs> amazing because it was like, you know, here's like the, the government, which you really didn't see much uh, in any form, saying books are so important, we're going to send out a, a truck full of them. <laughs> so that you can take them and, and and look at them, you know? And it was like, that's amazing, you know? And uh, and I loved the bookmobile, and they would come, I think, once a week or okay. something. And I remember, um, you know, I got, I like, I read my first uh, uh, Raymond Carver story okay. in the Best American Short Stories thing that I got in the, in the bookmobile. I must have been about, like, 13, okay. 13, 14 years old. And then we could get music, cassettes uh, that we had in those days, you know? So... I got de DeVita by Iron Butterfly, you know. <laughs> so it was like all of a sudden... And that's, that's... Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. These are the... Um, it was like this introduction to... Well, I don't know about Iron Butterfly, but I mean, you know, it's an introduction to culture, <laughs> okay. you know. Um, and literally sort of arrived and being transported towards yeah, you, which is great. Yeah, being shipped out. And, you know, and I've always loved libraries. Um, but I... And so I wanted to go back to that. Now... <clears throat> In the town, there is—I think there is an auto mechanic, um, and I think there is there is a uh, the old hardware store is used to like uh, store doors, you know, like doors that you manufactured doors. Okay. So there are a few people that work there, and there's one church, and there is the library. So basically, there's there's no grocery store, there's no there's no gas station. There's no hair salon, there's no, you know, the grain elevator is gone. Where I worked, I worked at the grain elevator, which is fascinating to me, because I, I love that, and I have never written about it, and I should. It was very interesting. Why was... was... Oh, I don't know. It was like, you know, uh, you were suddenly, you know, connected with the, the way that, you know, that people make a living. And suddenly, that's more visible to you in a farming area if you're working at a grain elevator. And one of the things I had to do was, they would roll up these. I mean, I'm sure they don't do this any, this way anymore. But they would roll up these box cars, and they would open the doors, and you would, you know there'd be a cardboard liner, and you would just run corn into the box car, and then I would be in the box car shoveling corn. And it's just like the most incredible dusty, smoky, <laughs> you know, and the racket is intense. I was going to say, it's a noisy. Yeah, no. very noisy, very noisy. But it seemed like, um, I don't know, I was a teenager and it seemed like well, this is kind of a good responsibility to have, you know. And I would drive a truck around and drive trucks to the landfill. I, that was great. I remember, <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes my boss would say, take this stuff to the landfill, right? And he had this nice pickup, right? with a stereo and I remember the first time I heard um, Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan was driving to the landfill in the grain elevator pickup you know so these are the kind of things ah. and you think there's no excitement in that yeah. in that landscape <laughs> <laughs> my god it's just a, an end, you know, endless parade of um, cool things to do